Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Milo. It's good to be with you here this morning. As you can tell, we're going to be doing a few things uh, differently here. Uh, if it's your first time here, you don't know that we're doing something differently, so welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're watching online, welcome. If you're listening to our podcast later, welcome. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I hope that you do. We are going to be in Lamentations chapter 2 today, but I want you to first open to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 6. And so these are going to be kind of hard to find. They're small books. You need to get your finger in Hosea and then turn a few pages, get your finger in Lamentations, and you're going to be busy for a few minutes. So we want you to have the opportunity to do that. I want to give you a head start. If you're just dropping in on us today, we are partway through a sermon series on the book of Lamentations. Lamentations are a specific type of poetry that we see uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, that they would use to process pain, to work through sorrow, work through loss. Uh, a, a lament is a passionate, a very passionate expression of grief and sorrow. A passionate expression of grief and sorrow. And it's actually a spiritual discipline. A lament is a spiritual discipline that we as Christians uh, don't like to do. We don't like to practice uh, regularly. Uh, but not only does it help us make sense of the world when we do so, it also helps us notice that there's a God who loves us even while we are still in the middle of our lament. And one of the hardest things for us is if we're in, still in the, in the middle of something, right in the, in the heart of it, it's hard to find your way forward. And so today's sermon title is, you can see it there on the screen, Processing Through the Pain. And you're going to see in just a minute that my wife Erin is going to join us. Uh, biblical lament, I'll put this on the screen as well, biblical lament helps us to return to the Lord as we process through the pain. Biblical lament, this is the big idea for the day, helps us to return to the Lord as we process through the pain. The pain that you're going through, it is real. Uh, if there's any reason that you think or, or someone tries to tell you, oh, don't worry, you're not actually dealing with anything, you know that you're dealing with something. It's happening right here, right now, in this time and in this scope, it's happening. And the beautiful thing that we have to realize is understand that the God of the universe came into our planet right here, right now, in our time, and in our space, and he is also here as well. But the hurt is not hiding. It's right here. As I said, because uh, men and women process things differently, we're going to do something a little bit different today when it comes to processing grief. Most of you know me. I'm Milo. You can bump into me here in the office or uh, leading worship or different things uh, like that. I've got the privilege of leading this expression of faith here. 6301 Main Street, Williamsville, New York, Buffalo, New York. All of those things are true. Uh, we're glad you're here. We're approaching 200 years of history as a church, and uh, we get to be the expression that happens right here. Uh, but you also know, if you've had any uh, conversations with me of any length along the way, you also know that there is no way that this guy is the brains behind the operation. Uh, you know that there is someone behind uh, poking me, prodding me, helping me along, whether it comes to sermon prep, whether it comes to uh, the way I interact with people here as a church, and that is my wife. You'd be absolutely right. And so to tap into the way that men and women deal with things differently when it comes to grief and also living proof that opposites attract, uh, my wife Erin, would you please come up to the stage uh, this morning? It's so good to have you here. Will you give her a round of applause? She's so beautiful. Thank you. So thanks for helping me with the message today. You want to scoot up here a little bit? Is that better? 
So I was reminded as we were prepping this, we were talking through this. I was going through my phone. Many of you do this, or sometimes your phone tells you things you didn't ask for it to tell you. But a year ago, uh, we, this weekend, were beginning to head out on a cross-country trip uh, as a family. So we were saying our goodbyes to people, and then we were uh, hitting the road. Actually, I'm, I'm catching Jay and Kim's eye here. They were out a week ahead of us, so they, like, had all the things on the map marked out ahead of us, so we got to follow you guys uh, in that. But tell them, what, what were we doing? Where were we headed? What was going on? Yeah, last, last summer, we uh, got the opportunity to take a, a four-week sabbatical um, and left here and did a, a cross-country road trip with something that we had had been wanting to do. Um, and as our kids are growing, with two in high school now, we just know that the time is running out. And in a blink of an eye, they'll be in college. And so it was a great time, a great opportunity for us to um, see God's creation and experience his beauty and the glory of him as a family and to put down some family milestones and, and memories um, that were really important to us. It was really good. And um, so, as you may expect, I had very little to do with this trip. Erin did all of the planning. Uh, she set everything up, the logistics. I just had to get in the car and make sure there was fuel in it, start the engine, and away uh, we went. So, there was a lot of things that we did along the way to keep the costs down. We tent camped uh, most of the way. About every five or six days, we would stop and stay in a hotel so we could get a shower. Uh, we could find out what was going on uh, with the Olympics because the Olympics were going on. Uh, but what was, became difficult, as you were planning for, is that our national parks last year and this year probably was very difficult to get a site in their national parks because RVs kind of went through the roof and everybody in the world was trying to do the same thing. Uh, that we were doing. So that was what you had to deal with. It was kind of hard to plan, uh, but <laughs> after after doing some research, we kind of honed in on little odd campgrounds outside of national parks and made for a unique experience. So we, we camped one night in this ski hut on the top of a mountain in Colorado. We um, camped in a yurt outside of Zion. You said yurt. That's what it was. It was amazing. It was. <laughs> And uh, we also camped in a teepee in outside of Canyonlands National Park, which proved not to be the best decision. Uh, there was good reason it was available. It was August in the desert, and there's nothing out there but hot, flat, sandy desolation and yeah. heat. Lots of lots of lots of heat. Yes. So not not my smartest part. Yeah, so we got out there. We see this place in the desert of Utah. The whole idea was we are going to be staying in this huge teepee, which was cool, but then they had, everything was up on cots because there was critters that were in the body. It was pretty amazing. Uh, so thanks for booking that for us. You're welcome. Uh, and it gave us a great illustration that we can use uh, this morning. We're going to use this illustration as kind of a launching point. We're going to kind of talk through some of what we experienced there uh, in Lamentations this morning. Uh, which Lamentations, of course, is all about suffering. So our camping <laughs> experience was going to tell us all about that. Uh, in some ways, we want to invite you, our congregation, as we dive into this passage in Lamentations, to kind of jump in the car with us and drive into the middle of the desert, okay? Uh, we want you to kind of get the feeling, get the experience of what we're doing, because if you've read through Lamentations before, or right now we're in this series, you're kind of driving into a poetic wasteland. Everything that Lamentations is about is dead or dying or is about uh, to go away. And so to get there, we're going to use as a launching point, I told you you're going to need one finger in the book of Hosea because um, in the historical timeline of things, uh, the prophet Hosea writes some things first 
a hundred years previous to the author of Lamentations. A hundred years previous, giving warnings, giving signs, giving things that Israel needed to pay attention to, or what we see happen in Lamentations would happen. And so it allows us to have more of a positive view of what's about to happen, and it turns out to be uh, one of your favorite passages of Scripture, isn't it? It is. Um, Yeah, well, Hosea goes to great lengths to describe pain and suffering that God's people will experience. He does it in a way that still gives me hope for another day. And I find this chapter, this text, to be encouraging, even though it's not so easy. So uh, I think it's on the screen. We're going to read Hosea 6, 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. I love this verse because it helps to give reason to what feels so unreasonable. It starts in this verse, but as we'll see, it carries through the next few. And at the root of struggle and our own pain and suffering, we want a reason. We want a reason that we are enduring suffering. And Hosea reminds us that the Lord always bids us to come to return to him. And when we do, he promises to restore us. God always keeps his promise. Throughout the Old Testament, We hear, come, let us return to the Lord. In the New Testament, James says it similarly. Wash your hands, cleanse your hearts, purify yourself from sin. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Yeah, that's good. So draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Okay, so here's how we want to tie this together in our passage in Lamentations. As far as why I'm using this desert analogy and the wasteland analogy as a word picture, uh, for biblical commitment, in the time that we have left, here's what I want to be able to do. We're going to talk through three different reasons how biblical lament uh, helps us to return to the Lord as we process through the pain. That's what biblical lament's job is. So at the root of our struggle, what happens is we're trying to find reason in the wreckage. If everything is dead, if it's all desert everywhere you look, we want to find reason in that. And here's the reason. If you go to that next slide. There is beauty in the desert that we cannot fully embrace. There is beauty in the desert, but we cannot fully embrace it. And we're going to use this camping story as a way to help us uh, through that. Uh, There's some particularly unique circumstances. We kind of got into a little bit. I want to give a little of the detail there to have some fun with it, but it's going to connect our way into uh, these verses from Lamentations. Yeah, so when we were heading to this location there in the desert of August um, in Utah, Um, I think we could have handled that, but on the way there, we um, came upon a sign that said, you know, next gas stop, 80 miles, and we had 90 miles left on our tank. Decision time. Yeah. It was a chance for conflict, actually, (laughs) and an opportunity for us to not get in So we made the decision (laughs) to get off real quick and find the next gas station, which then when we got off the exit said, oh, the next gas station here is 25 miles away. So now we did a 50-mile round trip. Just to get gas. So that we keep, would feel better. So, yeah, it was not, a mess. Yeah, it was. And, um, yeah, so I, we ended up arriving much later than we expected. Um, but in the midst of the frustration, maybe we're not explaining the frustration you can imagine between us. Oh, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> there, there, we, there was this fondness of this campground, uh, this fondness of this desolation. Uh, this young family owned this campground, much like ours. They drove, they were 100 miles from gas, water, electricity, and they drove 30 miles round trip, we found out, to, to their little girl's bus stop each day. They 
found something beautiful in that scorching heat, that wasteland. They were survivors of the unforgiving power of nature. Yeah, this, did you hear what she said? 30 miles that they drove every day uh, just to take their daughter to the bus stop. These were a lot tougher people uh, than we are. They took it to a whole nother level. Uh, but if you're in the desert and, and your home is in the desert and to call their place a home, it was shipping containers and a radio tower is really all it was there in the middle of the desert. Um, I want you to notice this, and Aaron said this a minute ago, God always keeps his promises, right? You've heard this before. But when I say God always keeps his promises, there's another side to that coin as well. God always keeps his promises when it comes to lament. And here's how I want to explain that. Hosea had warned that God would tear the people of Israel down and have to build them back up later if they did not return to the Lord. And so now, a generation later, we read these words in Lamentations. Lamentations, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says this, how the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. How the, the Lord has covered daughter Zion with a cloud of his anger. Now, there's something very specific that's being alluded to here, and I want you to see it. The cloud that had once represented God's presence when they were in the desert, when they were in the wilderness, when they had fled Egypt, that was supposed to represent God's presence and God's protection now is representing God's anger. Let me skip ahead to verse 2. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. Here it is again. In the wilderness, if you remember, there's a moment when the Israelites, they tried to rebel against Moses, their leader. It's called uh, Korah's Rebellion. He was the chosen man. He was the one that God had placed his finger on, was going to lead them through the wilderness. And there was this rebellion that rose up. And do you remember what happened? God warned everyone. He said, you need to get back. Get away from Korah and anyone who is with him because I am going to deal with this problem. I'm going to deal with it right now. Now And what happened is Korah and the 250 men who started the riot, their tents and everything that they had was literally swallowed up into the ground. His punishment was on them. He swallowed them up. But here we see it in a different context. We see the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. Look at verse 3. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of of the enemy. The right hand is referring here to the, the power and the representation of his favor and his might on the kingdom of Israel. So if you're a lefty, uh, sorry, uh, but the, the idea of having a right hand, the right hand of power. David was known to have a strong right hand. This meant that God's favor was with him and his military conquests and all he was doing. But now God's favor was removed, it says here, and the enemy continues and continues and continues to advance. You see, God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. So whether we like it or not, whether we prefer it or not, there's actually something very beautiful about that. There is beauty in the desert that we cannot fully embrace. Yeah, let me interrupt for a second. Um, I want to make sure you're not saying something that you don't want to say. Last week, you pointed out um, from chapter 1 that grief and sorrow that the children of God were experiencing in this text in Lamentation was of their own making. They were warned, and they, they didn't heed that warning, right? But that's not necessarily a transferable truth to every situation. Um, 
when we go through grief and sorrow and pain, we aren't always individually at fault or individually responsible for what has happened. However, the way we experience sorrow and the way we process that pain is transferable. And in that desert place, both are true at the same time. The promise of God to break and the promise to heal are both true in the same. And that's kind of what we've been learning to live in, the and. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, because Lamentations, as we talked about last week, uh, it is a poetic form. Um, we, we walked through how chapter 1 had 22 verses. You see chapter 2 has 22 verses. Chapter 3 has 66 verses. Chapter 4, 22 verses. Chapter 5, 22 verses. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So each verse in a poetic form was by design going to carry through literally letters A to Z that God's destruction was going to be complete and going to be total. But the point that is being made and the point that Aaron is trying to help us see here that there was a reason, this is a very specific reason there in Lamentations that they were experiencing this. It was because of their sin. And yet there is something oddly beautiful about that, of how God's promises were and are uh, coming true, how God is still in control even in the chaos. So let me recap where we've been so far. A biblical lament helps us to return to the Lord as we process through the pain. A biblical lament helps us return to the Lord as we process through the pain. So at the root of our struggle, we want to find reason in the wreckage. So here was the reason one. There's beauty in the desert we cannot fully embrace. Let me go to the second reason. There is pain in the wilderness we cannot fully escape. There's pain in the wilderness that we cannot fully escape. And so to say that, to make a statement that strong, we're going to have to give you some context to understand that. Again, we have to go back to, I told you you have to flip back over, Hosea chapter 6. We're going to put it on the screen again. We're going to read again from the beginning. If you'll do this, Aaron, and read up through uh, the beginning of verse 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Let us strive to know the Lord. Let us press on that we may know him more. All right, thanks. So if we restate that reason again, there's pain in the wilderness that we cannot fully escape. Now, this is one of your favorite passages. I keep kind of bringing that up, but I want to kind of bring this out because uh, this cross-reference that we're going to go into Lamentations 2, is, it's a pretty beautiful thing. But what's the big idea here? Yeah, um, in this passage, we can clearly see as we are able to look back through the lens of the cross, we can see that connection to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus three days later. But the readers of Hosea's day didn't see that direct connection, obviously. Um, they weren't, didn't have the complete picture of the redemption story. All they could see was that there was pain, there was suffering, and that it was going to extend over a period of time. Their sorrow they were experiencing would extend beyond just one day or one defined segment of time, whatever they understood that prophecy to mean at the time. Not just one segment of time, but two units, even three units of time before restoration and healing would come. And what were they to do in the in-between, in the waiting? They were to press on. They were to press into the suffering all for one primary reason that they might know God and know him better, know him even more deeply. And in my own life, I've found this to be the case. 
It's not the moments of celebration that I draw closest to God, but it's in the moments of suffering that I create my deepest bonds with him and know him more fully. So I know you got more to share about that. We'll get there in a second. Um, I want to make the connection again to, to Lamentations 2. As I move through the rest of Lamentations 2, I'm going to move through and just kind of summarize the points. Um, and, and you'll notice if, you, if you've got your thumb in there, you'll see uh, you'll, you'll see this word repeated again in the first part of the poem, and the, and the words are, he has. All of these things are the things that the Lord has done. They have to do with the demolition of Jerusalem. They have to do with the destruction of Judah. They have to do with the downfall of the people. God has done all of these things. If I look at verse 4, he says he's poured out his wrath. Verse 5 says he's laid them to ruin. Verse 6 says he's destroyed the meeting place. Verse 9 says her gates, they have sunk deep into the ground. Verse 10, her leaders are sitting on the ground in silence. Now whether you look at the politicians of the day or the leader in your office or leaders 2,000, 3,000 years ago, there are no leaders who want to sit in silence unless they have been humbled to be in that stance. There is pain in the wilderness you cannot fully escape. Here's the point I want to make. You cannot escape suffering, but suffering is meaningful. You cannot escape suffering, but suffering is meaningful. Regardless of how you and I may feel about suffering, the Bible teaches that suffering is a good thing, and it does have its purpose. Here, the purpose is judgment. As we've described, there was a warning, and there's judgment that is on them here. But another purpose we also see from Hosea is actually knowing God more deeply, to lean in, to press in, that you may know me more, so that there will be glory given to God, and there will be joy in the end. Watch how the tone begins to change here in chapter so the first part describes all the things that he has done to them. And then the next segment of poetry shows the, the, the poet's response now to what the Lord has done. Verse 11, he says, My eyes, they are spent with weeping. My stomach, it churns inside of me. My bile, some of your translations say, my bile is poured out on the ground. So if you hear someone say, I'm crying my eyes out, or I'm, I'm crying my guts out, that's the idea of what the poet is trying to get across here. Verse 13 says, my ruin is as vast as the sea. Verse 14 says, our teachers and prophets, they have been false. They have been misleading. Verse 15 says, those who pass by, they clap their hands, they hiss, they wag their heads, they laugh. They say, this is the city that was called perfection and beauty. Verse 17 says, the Lord has done what he set out to do. He has carried out his word. Verse 18, let your tears pour out like a torrent. There's pain in the wilderness you cannot fully escape. You cannot escape suffering, but suffering is meaningful. The second idea here is that you cannot escape grief. You cannot escape grief, but grieving is valuable. Grieving is valuable. Oftentimes, many of us believe that if we hold back our grief... And we don't want to deal with it. If we want to hide it, we want to bury it. We think that, that grieving or crying shows a lack of strength or a lack of impulse or a lack of faith. But I believe, as you look through particularly what's going on here in Lamentations, that the poet here of Lamentations has incredible faith. But he's hurting. It's real. It's in his lap. And he's crying. And he's calling out to God, trying to make sense out of things. He's trying to process the pain. So if I push through and finish the chapter, in the last few verses, the poet points to suffering in his surroundings. He takes a look at what's around him. 
He says there's young men and there's young women being killed by the edge of the sword. Our children are dying in the streets, he is saying. Look, Lord, verse 20, look and consider, with whom have you ever treated like this? Look around. Should this be happening? Should that be happening? This is an emotional appeal to God. He's asking, God, is all of this really necessary? We get it. What we also can see here is that it is acceptable for us to ask God, why? Why, God? As this poem ends, the darkness hasn't lifted. The questions, although he's asking why, 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 they're not answered. Isn't that how suffering is sometimes? You pray at night, you go to sleep, you weep, you, you wake up three, four, five times in the night, but when you wake up in the morning, the pain is still there and the questions are still unanswered. Now, I've been ranting for a while, Aaron, and I know I haven't given you a chance to get a word in edgewise, but I want to get us to this point. It's the reason that I've asked Aaron to be up here with, you, with me this morning. It's the thing that I'm not very good at when it comes to lament because I am one of those people who buries it, who doesn't deal with it. And God, I know, has been doing a work in your heart on this specifically. So let me read the principle first, and then I'll have you share on it. Because there is pain in the wilderness you cannot fully escape. Here's the thing. You cannot escape doubt, but questions are powerful. You can't escape doubt, but the questions you're asking are powerful. And I guess we've talked about it plenty of times. We've always known that God was big enough to handle us asking him questions. But can you share, if you would, specifically how the spiritual discipline of lament and asking questions in this way has been formed and is forming in you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So several years ago, uh, many of you in this room supported us, walked with us, and prayed through us through a difficult season, a season that led myself and our daughter to temporarily relocate um, to another state in order to allow her to receive some medical care that she needed. It was a lonely, isolating, and terrifying season for, for multiple reasons. Um, but one of the things that made it particularly difficult for me was that so much of that season was a reminder that we had done this once before. Years previous, we had also relocated our family so that we could meet the medical needs of our son, Josiah. And the effects of the nine months then that we had with our son in the hospital and the effects of grief on our family had changed us forever. But now here I was, alone again, reliving so many painful memories. Memories of hospitals, memories of leaving my child in the care of strangers, memories of holidays being missed, memories of our family being separated. All of those memories and the reaction I was having to them made me realize what I hadn't dealt with and how precarious my faith actually was, how easily circumstances could derail my confidence and trust in the Lord. And this new vein of suffering in my life ripped off the scabs that had been placed over my wounded heart, and it was bleeding all over again. In fact, I realized that I had been doing this for a long time. I'd been keeping God at a distance, at an arm's length for years, as a way to cope with pain. Every new trial, whether it be small or large, that I faced ripped off those scabs of old wounds and revealed the distrust, anger, and bitterness that I had felt toward God. I was grieving yet again, and I was asking questions again. Why God? Why again? 
Why my child? Why not me? After our daughter was kind of out of, out of crisis mode, the Lord brought this woman to me the way only God does, a complete stranger. I've only met this woman once. I could never tell you her name. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but somehow I became, began sharing my story with her and revealing how bitter I was. She made a simple suggestion to me at that time to start with lament. It was truly the first time I had ever heard that. And that word alone resonated with me. She suggested to me that I write out a lament to God. No holding back. Share my grievances. Write them out. List all the losses. Be specific and vivid and direct it at God. It took me a while to surrender to this suggestion, but I eventually did. I began to write laments from the loss of life, loss of time, loss of friends, loss of security, loss of purpose, to the loss of hope and trust in my Savior. The list was long and not pretty. And it was hard for me to enter into that darkness that I had been avoiding for years. But the process of lament changed me. It gave me a way to suffer well. It gave me a language to process the pain that I had experienced living in, the, in between, living in that and, that he will break us and he will hear us. The practice of lament has brought me to a place where while I know my wounds won't go away, they'll be with me forever on this side of heaven. They don't have to derail me. I've learned that the quicker I enter into the pain of any new experience and offer an earnest prayer of lament to a song, that my soul changes and my prayer of lament turns to a song of praise. When I face the darkness and invite him in, intimacy with my Savior grows deeper and deeper. And that's how I begin to suffer well. Left unchecked, my frustration, hurt, sorrow, grief turned into anger. And anger gave way to bitterness. And bitterness tempts me to run, to run from God. On my own, that's how I process pain. I choose to run. But lament turns us toward God. It is a posture of prayer that actively engages him as the one who can help. It's not just a complaint, but it is addressed to the only one who can actually speak truth over our brokenness. It's the biblical way to process pain and find rest in the in-between. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's not easy to do, and I also know um, you're learning to find rest in that in-between. Uh, but it is why you're here, and God is continuing to do a work in your heart when it comes to this area of loss and lament and sorrow and grief. So for all of you, let me say it one more time as we're going to kind of come around the, the final corner here on this together. Biblical lament helps us to return to the Lord as we process through the pain. The root of our struggle, what we're trying to do, we're trying to find reason in all the wreckage that we see around us. And there's beauty in the desert that we uh, cannot fully embrace. There's pain in the wilderness that we cannot fully escape. Here's the last one, the last reason that you need to hear. There is hope for tomorrow when tomorrow comes. So if I read this time from Hosea chapter 6, this is what it says in totality. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. 
He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. So let us strive to know the Lord. Let us press on that we may know him more. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. There is hope for tomorrow when tomorrow comes. There is water, there are springs that will fill the land. Allow me to go back to that illustration, to that camping trip in the desert this last summer as we finish up. When we checked in, like I said, we were an hour late, and they made sure that they let us know that. Uh, We were an hour late, but they also let us know that there was something that you just have to see there in the desert, that, that sunsets in the desert are tremendous. And so after we had set up our camp, uh, and, and eating a sand-filled dinner with, with all kinds of bugs crawling around in it. Uh, we did all that. We set up our camp, and we started, uh, we started our, set up our chairs, uh, and we set them all facing west, and we were ready for this beautiful sunset. And as the sky started to come together, it was beautiful. And we got out our phones, and we got out. Uh, one of our daughters had Aaron's, uh, one, at one time, expensive camera, uh, and she started taking picture of the beauty that we were seeing. And, and all of us, but her particularly, she's trying to take a picture. A 14-year-old's trying to take a picture of the sunset. And what she sees in that little screen is not quite what she sees in front of her. And so as the sun is starting to go over the horizon, she starts to try to get closer to it to see if she can get a better picture of it. And she's literally getting closer and closer. And I'm like, what is she doing? And you said, leave her alone. And she's running across the desert trying to get a better picture. She's literally chasing the setting sun. And you, as you are now, were just laughing at the silliness of it all. So why was that uh, so impactful to you? It actually stuck with you for a long time. It did. It did. You know, there were many moments on our trip that, that uh, the Lord used to really revive our, our spiritual health um, and renew us. And this, this, was, this turned into one of them. And for me, really, truly was. And I'm excited to be able to share that with you today. But yes, so my daughter was chasing the setting sun. Um, And as I'm laughing at her, the Lord reminded me of exactly what he had been trying and he has been teaching me over the past few years. Um, And he brought this quote to my mind that of a book that I had read, um, a quote about grief. Um, The author is Jerry Sitzer. And the, the title of the book is called A Grace Disguised. And this is the quote. It says, the quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. And in that moment, I literally saw the tangible picture of that. My daughter chasing the setting sun and me realizing no, this is what it's all about. Turn around. And God prompted me to turn around. <laughs> She's never going to catch the sun that way. The quickest way is through the darkness, to head east, to face the darkness. And in that moment, I, everybody else was sitting that way watching the sunset. I don't think they even noticed, but I turned my chair around and I started looking the other way into the darkness. And just <laughs> sitting there with the Lord in that moment. In that time of day, that contrast was stunning. There were the traces of light coming from the setting sun. And then in the other direction, it was total darkness. 
However, within minutes, as I sat there, pondering, praying, looking into that darkness and experiencing something that God had been teaching me, knowing that that was the direction in which the light would return, those tiny little dots of light called stars <laughs> began to appear in that darkness. Soon the entire sky was filled with glimpses of light. You can imagine the beauty of the night sky and the desert and all that darkness. There was no other light to be seen. It was an awesome experience where God was speaking to me and reminding me of that truth. To return to him, I needed to face the darkness. I needed to deal with all the sorrow and the pain. I needed to allow him into my darkness. He longs to meet us there in that darkness. That's good. That's the story that we asked you to come and share this morning. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that very much. Um, we'll say a few more things to close, but we give Aaron a round of applause for being up here uh, this morning and joining us in that. All right, the band, you guys can come forward. Let me recap here one more time. The beauty in the desert we cannot fully explain. There's pain in the wilderness we cannot fully escape. There's hope for tomorrow when tomorrow comes. As Aaron just described, God invites us into the darkness. Whatever it is that we're going through, uh, there, there is, He is there with us and He is inviting us to join Him there to be able to see uh, His light. There's a connection actually here. We read it ahead of our passage today. We read it as we went through it. It's Lamentations 2.15 uh, that actually shows up again in the New Testament. It's this idea of the people are scoffing at Israel. They are wagging their heads at Israel saying, where is your splendor now? You are the beautiful city. How beautiful are you now? They are scoffing. In Matthew chapter 27, it's a similar text. We see that the people are walking by Jesus as he is hanging there on the cross. The other criminals are there on the cross, and it's the exact same phrase, the exact same language, that they are wagging their heads. You, the king of the Jews, in all of your glory, all of your splendor, look at you now. And even the criminals on the cross on either side are mocking him, calling him out, and scoffing at him, wagging their heads at him. And then Jesus enters the darkness. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. It was about three in the afternoon that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This matches exactly what is happening in Lamentations. He is crying out. He is calling out. He is complaining to God. You left me here. He does it again in verse 50. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he then gave up his spirit. And at that moment, it says, the curtain of the temple was torn into from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks they split into. Verse 54, those who were around the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake. They saw all that happened and they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely this is the Son of God. 
biblical amend helps us to return to the Lord as we process through the pain, as we go through the darkness. We're not going to chase the setting sun. We need to go through the darkness. Here's the main verse for the day, 6-3 of Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Let us strive so that we may know the Lord. Let us press on that we may know Him more. The last year for me personally has been difficult. The last two to three years for all of us as a country, many of you even more specifically going through grief, going through loss, has been very, very hard. Let us strive after the Lord that we may know Him more. Verse 18 of Lamentations gives us the exact action steps that we are going to call to make today. Cry out, the author says. Cry out into the night if you have to. Verse 19, pour out your heart to God. And then lift up your hands to Him. There's a posture of our hands, isn't there? When we're angry, put our hands on our hips. When we're mad, we wag our finger at people. But here we said, lift up your hands hands, surrender. And so in order to do that, there's this letting go of grip, letting go of control. I lift my hands up to you. So this morning, if every head be bowed, every eye closed, Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, we come to you confessing that there are so many things that we chase as we chase the setting sun. There are so many ways, Lord, that we try to avoid the pain Avoid the suffering. Avoid anything that we can't be in control of. And you bid us to come that we may be restored in you. Let us strive after you, Lord. There are some here this morning that they have not yet entered into a personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day. That today would be the day that they would know that one who people wagged their heads at and said, oh, this is the king of the Jews. And then he proved it when he entered the darkness on our behalf. Lord, I pray that there would be someone here this morning who would say, today is the day. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that my life is ruined. It's a desolate wasteland. And anything that I do to try to make it better is just going to fail. Lord, I call out to you and your gift in Jesus Christ. Thank you for entering the darkness on my behalf. And then if you're here this morning and you are trying to work through the logistics of how you are going to control everything so you never have to feel pain, never have to feel hurt, and you haven't been reading your Bible. So, Lord, I pray there would be some here this morning who would say, Lord, I want to meet you in the darkness. I want to wrestle through these things. I want you to show yourself because you said that you will meet me there and I will know you better on the other side. Lord, as we process grief, as we process lament and sorrow, let us grow deeper and closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray.